Hi, I'm Shalushi Baxi Ritchie. And I'm Kosha Baxi Karstens. We are sisters and best friends who grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were really loved. We had a lot of friends, but we never felt like we fully fit in. We started to realize that there's probably a lot of other people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was a seed for this podcast. Then during the 2020 election, we watched now Vice President Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence, and we got inspired. We want to hear, share, and amplify the voices of all Americans who have felt othered. We want to give everyone a platform to reclaim their power and their place by standing up and saying, I am speaking. Hello. Whoa. It's good Hi. to see you. It's good to... <laughs> Good to hear you. You know, sometimes it's weird because sometimes we see each other more on Zoom, even though we live yeah. like 14 feet away from each other. And you're my best friend. So it's like, I know. Sometimes when we see each other live and it's not podcast related, it's like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long, even though I've I know. seen you four times. <laughs> yeah. We spend a lot of time talking to each other, but we don't talk about what's going on in our lives. We just, yeah talk to each other on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's like, uh, uh, remember, did I tell you what happened three weeks ago? And I'm like, Oh my God, no, we haven't had a chance to talk about that. <laughs> so, so today's guest listeners, dear listeners is an amazing woman named Anna Deshawn. Anna is a, uh, 100% Chicago South sider. She's grew, a Chicago born and gal, yeah. grew up in the South side of Chicago. Um, and uh, grew up in a very religious community. You know, you'll hear her talk about her parents, which was- Very diverse community too, yeah. right? Where she she looked like everyone around her. Right. And then, um, you know, from, from religious roots, came out to her family uh, in college and what, and that whole experience, what that was like for her. You'll also hear a lot about her entrepreneurship and that's, you know, her story on both, both sides, but both her personal story of being a black woman who identifies as queer, um, but also an entrepreneur who's putting her passion um, to practice. Both of those stories are incredibly moving and inspiring. I also think, you know, what she reminded me, her story reminded me of yours in the way that like, she talks about how she, she really believes in social entrepreneurship, that you can work and, you know, have a job or have a company that makes a change, makes impact in the world. And um, she's so dedicated to that. I also love she identifies as a Black queer woman. And we have a really cool bit of the conversation that talks about what that means, what that word means of queer, why yeah. she uses it. Um, I was really inspired by that because, you know, in a world that people really want to put you in a box, she is pushing against that. And in simple ways, like how she identifies. And I thought that was, I think, Gen Z is, is kind of moving to that too, where it's like, I don't need labels and, you know, we don't, we don't need to yeah. call it a certain thing and check the boxes. And, um, I think that she doesn't, Anna does a great job of explaining kind of what her identity means to her and yeah. the words that she uses. Yeah. I could not believe it. I say this at the end of the podcast, I could not believe that it was like already an hour and a half. It just was, it went so fast. 
um, with just everything we were talking about. Yeah, it was it was an amazing conversation. Um, I, you know, we learned things. I hope that Anna learned something too. Um, Anna is launching an amazing platform, but it's not the kind of platform you'd think. Um, but she is really focused on raising the voices of BIPOC folks, of queer folks, of, you know, in some ways we're lifting up the stories of everyone outside the hegemony. And she's giving a platform for those products, for those stories, for those podcasts, for those, you know, songs and, and all, you know, anything creative to be shared. Um, so in that way, our focus, our vision, our um, missions are really, really aligned. And it was so heartening to speak to someone who's like, we, you know, we're just on the same level about what we're here to do. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, she even uses the term amplifying mm -hmm. voices, you know, and, and one of the things that really struck me, and this is what you and I have talked about, it was, you know, that Hamilton song of being in the room where it happens. And sometimes you got to open your own room and, and yeah. really create your own space and not wait to be invited or, you know, not continue to beat down the door, but saying, you know, we're going to go into this room and we're going to make it something that, that works for us. And, uh, I've, I loved her. I loved her. And yeah, I would say great. to our listeners, like, do not be surprised to hear about future collaborations between, um, you know, our podcasting umbrella and the cube, because yeah. I, those, those philosophies really do align. Yeah, absolutely. So, dear listeners, please enjoy. Anna Deshawn is speaking. She is speaking. <laughs> I'm Anna, so glad. We, Thank you. Before we get started, started. Sure. How do you how do you identify as a black queer woman? Black queer woman. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. On um, the south side of Chicago. Oh. Yeah. No. That's. that's <laughs> That's an awesome side. That's like yeah. the best side of Chicago. That's the actually. best side of Chicago. <laughs> I mean, we could get into it. My wife's from the West side and I tell her all the time, you know, we, we can adopt you here. You yeah. Know, you're, you're welcome here. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I do love the West side because uh, I live in Oak, Oak Park and Kosha lives in River Forest. So, oh, yeah. and, and when I was uh, commuting into work, I would drive through the West side every day. And I was like, yeah. oh, it's, I mean. It's got its own vibe. It totally does. It's so weird for me though, because what you hear, I'm, I'm pointing over my shoulder as if there's someone there. Like <laughs> the talk is basically like, oh, it's so dangerous and this and that. And you, but when you're there all the time, you're like, these yeah. people just trying to live their lives. That's it. That's it. Trying to live their lives. That's it. It's just, it's, it's literally generational uh, lack of investment, right? After the uh, 68 riots. After the 68 riots, they were just like, we ain't putting no more money on the West side. Right, right, right. And the community norms aren't the same as they are in uh, more white Oregon, white communities, right? Where it's like, there are a lot of people hanging out in the street. The one thing I would say as a, as a driver, it's very difficult because one of the community norms is that you don't have to walk at the intersection. You just walk <laughs> wherever you want to. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm trying not to hit anybody here. Like that was probably the hardest, <laughs> the most stressful thing yeah. about driving, which is I'm not worried about getting shot or anything. I don't want to hit someone because they walk out and I'm not paying attention to where they are. This is true. That is a community norm. <laughs> if, the, if it's a big street and it's busy, I'm 
wherever I am, I'm going across. You just walk. This is true. That's a great observation. It's someone else's problem to stop for you. I can't wait for all the cars to go. This is true. It, yep. Except and then on the north side, white folks, the crosswalk is their way of going, but they go on the crosswalk. But it's the same attitude. You are going to stop for me. <laughs> Absolutely. So, All right, so um, the recording is so on. Also, yeah, the recording's on. Okay. Um, also, can we have your pronouns? I, I think I saw your shoes. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't update it in Zoom. My bad. Anything respectful is fine. Oh, oh, I like that. Okay, good. What's good, people? I'm Anna Deshaun. My pronouns are anything respectful, and I am speaking. We're so excited to have you here today. All your listeners hopefully know by now, this season we're focused on gender and sexuality spectra. Today, uh, Anna has graciously agreed to join us and talk to us about her experience being a Black queer woman from the South Side of Chicago. Hey, that's me. That's you. <laughs> so awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Always good to join folks on their podcast and, and be in conversation, especially when it's about the intersections of race, ethnicity, sexuality, gender identity, all the good things that I care about. All those things that make up how people are interesting. So Anna, let's just start with, tell us a little bit about yourself. You said you're from the South Side. Tell us a little bit about your story. Absolutely. Grow, born and raised on the south side of Chicago. My mom is from a small town in Mississippi. My dad is from Chicago. Um, my mom's definitely part of the Great Migration uh, to Chicago as a Black person. And so I've got a lot of that in me. <laughs> and I grew up with my parents and my sister. My sister is 17 years older than me, so she's like another mother. I've always been a go-getter and had a a mind of my own. And my parents were incredibly supportive in that. I came out while I was in college and uh, my mother was surprised. I'd finally said something. And my dad <laughs> said, and I came out to my dad like three or four times, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, my family's incredibly supportive. My dad walked me down the aisle. I'm married. Um, me and my wife have been together now for 10 years and I got a puppy. Coco is the business. She's the best. And How old is she? When did you she, get her? She is, oh, she's going to be eight months here shortly. Wow. We got her when she was six weeks. Let's talk about a struggle bus. That Coco can have her own episode, okay? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and all the pup parents out there know what I'm talking about. And um, so I'm, those are all parts of me that make me who I am. And professionally, I spent over a decade in corporate America in digital media, streaming virtual events and webinars before anybody knew what the world that was or what I was doing until COVID hit and the world exploded um, and, and the virtual event world exploded. And I lived through that. And I said, we cannot continue this. As a person who studied radio, television production, uh, multicultural studies, I uh, got my master's in organizational communication. I knew that I could affect change with communication and with media. And that has always been my passion. So in 2009, November of 2009, I had my first show called The Anna Deshaun Show. And I started my own radio station called E3 Radio. And I did that because there, weren't any, there wasn't anybody telling black queer folks stories and or amplifying the work that was being done in those communities. And I felt like queer media was very white and it still is, um, and very male and gay driven, which it still is. And after a while, and COVID really put things in perspective for me in regards to how am I spending my time and how much time do I think I have to do exactly what I feel like God has called me to do. 
and I quit. <laughs> so uh, in January of this year, I quit my job and I started to be my own boss and, and decided to take the leap of faith and figure out what I could make of this thing. So today, E3 Radio is an online radio station playing queer and independent music with an R&B and hip hop vibe. And the evolution of what we're doing is the cube, which is going to be an app because people have always kept, <laughs> they keep asking me, Anna, how do I listen on the go? How do I listen on the go? And I'm like, I know, I know the team and I knew we needed to create an app and we needed to make it easier for people to tune in and listen because they had a desire, but it's tough. And we were like, okay, we can do this, but we knew we had to add podcasting into the mix. Podcasting has become radio 2.0. It's a way for people to share stories, share their truths and you know have their voices be heard and there is still a huge gap once again in the podcasting world if you open up any app you see white faces i don't care what your algorithm is i don't care what you prefer to hear um you don't see bipoc faces you don't hear qt pock stories and there's still a huge gap in that and so i said well let's just fill it with the app so it's called the cube so it's going to be a curated app of music and podcasts by bipoc and qt pock creatives very, very cool. And I just want to point out that the cube, it's spelled Q-U-B-E. That's right. For people who are interested in following your, your journey to launching that. What is yeah. the proposed launch date? What are you thinking about in terms of your timeline? Absolutely. So our goal right now is to launch in October. This is the hope. We will see. Uh, we are in, actively in development. We've designed it. Now we're developing it. And we know user test testing has to take place and all beta testing and all those things need to happen. So the goal is for October to be that time. So we'll see what happens. Do you need a podcast with two sisters from India who are talking to people who have been othered? I mean, that sounds perfect. Oh my goodness. Do you I know, know anyone like that? Do we you? know? We do. We do. We do. I'll <laughs> hook you up. I'll hook you up. And you know, this is a great time. Yeah. Like seriously, like this is the part of the phase in which we're in is we're asking for podcasters like yourselves to submit your podcast to us for curation. I think there's a few differentiators from what we're looking to do from what I've seen with other apps. One is we're not looking to be a directory. We're not, that is not what we're looking to be. Uh, it would be very easy to be a directory, but I don't think that that adds anyone any value. We want to have the best podcast by BIPOC and QTPOC folks inside the app. And so the way we're doing that is that we have a listening team, a collection of folks who are listening to every single piece of content that's going into the app. We know for the app to be viable, content has to be consistent. It has to be available. And uh, we want to make sure that that's a thing. So we have our podcast listening team. We're curating, curating every piece of content. And we're also going to have it so that when people sign up, you can sign up for categories and topics. You know, that's all normal. But we want people to sign up by ethnicity preferences, gender identity preferences. You know, do you want to hear all the queer podcasts? Do you want to see all the Latinx podcasts, all the Indian podcasts? Or do you want to see everything? We all we got. You know, I think yeah. that there's a level of customization there that's also important for folks. Spanish speaking podcasts, for example, that are making a huge splash in the marketplace. So really looking to fill a need that I see very visible in the podcasting space. Yeah, that's, that's so fantastic. I think for so many reasons, like the obvious reason is that it does lift up the work of people of color. We have seen from popular podcasts in the mainstream that it is really possible to monetize the work that we do here. But monetization and sort of taking something that's a passion project and then turning it into something that you can earn income off of depends upon, you know, getting subscribers and listens. And 
But if the mainstream algorithms don't lift up the podcast from people of color or queer people or people from different languages, and it's always like way down in the section below, like black voices. And you're just like, I have, got, I have to scroll down so far to see this or like, it's pride month. And then it's like, that's the only time you see those things, not to get super serious right away, but like, that's actually a form of systemic racism and homophobia or heteronormativity. Let's put it that way. Homophobia makes it, again, we've heard said that before, you're not afraid of gay people. You're not afraid of people who are not straight. Your issue is that you actually just want your way to be privileged. The algorithms privilege those things. And then uh, those of us who don't fit into those algorithms struggle to monetize what other people can do right away. And I'll also add that there's an investment, right? So it does become, it comes down to the money. And we know POC folks and the, the financial gap between POCs and white folks in this country is very wide. So what can the cis white man invest into his podcast, right? That maybe two Indian sisters cannot. So when we talk about marketing, when we talk about the uh, ability to go out here and sell to their friends and family who have businesses, who have lines of equity, who do all these things that give them opportunities to be heard more. Not, and it's not because their content is good or better. <laughs> it, it, you know, these algorithms are based off of a certain uh, set of criteria. And that criteria yeah. does not offer itself or lend itself to being beneficial to indie podcasters, right? People who don't have 300,000 followers, right? And, and PLC folks. And we can change that. And I yeah. believe we can change it with community. So that's my background, right, as well. I've done a lot of work in the community. I've served my community in different capacities and I don't believe we can do anything alone. So what does it look like instead of a podcast trying to sell advertising for one piece, what if we can sell 50 podcasts, right? To an advertiser, what does that look like now? So we're not just talking about, you know, 50 listens. Now let's talk about 5,000 listens that you have the potential of reaching and this audience and people who are loyal to these podcast creatives, right? And 61%, the data shows that 61% of people who listen to podcasts actually act on the advertising herd because they trust the podcast creator. Ah. So we know podcast advertising is actually very effective. It's one of the most effective ways to reach people. So we just need to be able to be in a position to tell that to people who want to reach us. And I also think it's about holding them accountable. Black Lives Matter <laughs> posts that came out around George Floyd, everybody had a statement, okay? Everybody had something to say about that, but what are you actually doing? How are you actually investing? You came from corporate America. I also work in corporate America. In June, like the difference between what a corporate logo looks like in during Pride Month versus July 1st, you know, white straight guy is like the logo essentially. And, and the other thing, you know, I just wanted to point out like money begets money. So I was thinking about, you know, some of the podcasts that I listen to, for example, Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert. I actually really love it. And there's an Indian, like there's an Indian girl who's his co-host and I really, we both really love it. And then you had literally like five or six uh, that I can think of off the top of my head white actors who were like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast too, just like that. 
because they're able to put all this money into their podcast, they are able to get like Hallmark. And I mean, three white guys, that Smartless podcast, it has um, uh, Will Arnett and John Hayes and Jason Bateman. They sold their podcast to Amazon Music for $80 million. Wow. I'm like, I bought these headphones for $70 and I'm like telling my family, like, don't touch them. Right. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, where's the money for the people who are like working really hard and have the content? Like you said, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And it's about relationships. It is all about relationships. Things happen on golf courses for real. And, yeah. <laughs> and this is where these conversations happen. And we aren't in those rooms. Right. So I always think about uh, Hamilton. I'm a Hamilton fan. It's like, yeah. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. <laughs> like we got to find ways to be in the room where it happens. Um, I feel like there are people in these corporate um, environments that want to do good, but don't know where to do it, don't know how to do it. Um, and no one's pressing them, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's opportunities here for us to press them on what that means as you know, one part of our app, and I talk about it, and anything that we write is about the financial equity pieces. We want to have a viable ad revenue sharing program for our creatives. We want, we're also going to have a tipping feature inside the app so users can um, tip their favorite podcasters. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. Oh, that's a fantastic idea. I've never like heard of Like a Patreon type thing. Yeah, like a Patreon type thing. And also not in the MVP, but future is for creators to be able to connect their Patreon if they have one from our app. You know, but absolutely, like creatives deserve to get paid. <laughs> like you're, we're, we're producing art. You're doing the work. You know, it's not easy. And it's being consumed. It's not just sitting there. It's being consumed. That's right. That's right. And and we deserve. Period. Yeah, absolutely. So so talk me through in detail. Talk me through the process of of coming up with E three radio and then shifting that and then bringing the podcast in and like you know what was that process like for you I mean it's been a well e3 was the beginnings of e3 actually if you want to go all the way back go back to my undergrad yeah let, let's go all the way back all the way back where did you do undergrad I did it at Drake University oh, in wonderful. Des Moines Iowa mm-hmm and it's a PWI, right? And so I was at Drake and I was I was learning about all these, I was actually ended up learning about a lot of black women that I had never learned about before. And I and it made me kind of angry. So I was like, wait, I thought I was pretty smart. But why haven't I heard about Elaine Brown? And why haven't I heard about Fannie Lou Hammer? And I began asking, you know, folks like, who are some of your favorite like black women leaders? <laughs> and we were all looking at each other. And it's because their stories were never told, right? It, the, all the stories were very patriarchal. I mean, we just talk about Dr. King and Malcolm X. Maybe you get some mega Evers from time to time, but I'm just like, what about Coretta Scott King? And then- Or you go back to like Harriet Tubman, right? Harriet, like, right. You have to go that far back. And that it's still yeah. spoken in a way it, through the lens of the patriarchy. Exactly. Yeah. Like never their true stories or even um, Frederick Douglass's wife, Anna, right? Who was- probably more radical and had much more to do with his success than even he did. Right. Well, and I got it. I mean, as a side note, I have to tell you, I got to see Credit Scott King speak when I was in grad school in Michigan. She was doing an event in Detroit. It was just uh, amazing. I mean, uh, I found myself, I felt like I was in a black church where like, mm. you know, people are like, you know, preach it sister. And I'm like, 
yeah, like I'm like standing up and I'm doing all the things. And of course I, I don't, I'm an extrovert and I like, I have zero, like worry about people looking at me. I'm like, yeah, totally. But I was, I don't even know what to say. It, she, her spirit, her spirit, Mm -hmm. she touched me Mm -hmm. in my soul. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I was transported where like, in a way I was like, I'm not even really in control of my body right now. Yeah. I mean, and that's the impact, right. That she's had. Yeah. And those are the stories that weren't, aren't being told, weren't being told. And that really pissed me off. So the first iteration of the business was I was going to make a uh, conscious college radio station and it was going to make PSAs that I would then syndicate to other college radio stations to tell these people's stories. So these 30 second bits, right? Which could probably still be a very viable business. But at the time I realized how much turnover there was in college radio, uh, trying to get somebody to sponsor it or something was just all very difficult. And I was like, forget this. I can play my own commercials. I can have my own station. I'm going to do it myself, right? Yeah. I can just do it myself. And so that that's the impetus for actually starting E3. And then the E3 part came because I was running for office on campus. So I was running for student activities board president and I ran on three E's, educate, enlighten, and empower the the students to create programming that was going to be uplifting for everybody. And I lost in a runoff. If I was, if I was Greek, I think I would have, I I, might've took it, but uh, I got mighty close. But so I took those three E's, transformed them for the radio station and just switched out the enlightened with entertain. What was the, what was the three E? It was empower, enlighten, and uh, educate. Educate, okay. enlighten, and empower. Okay. Now it's today. It is educate, entertain, and empower, folks. Gotcha. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I, yeah. I think that I love that idea of these thirty-second, you know, clips that you can syndicate and send out everywhere. Which is like, especially from a podcast perspective, like I can listen to thirty seconds between sections in the in the podcast. Right, the interview goes long and. She's like, oh, stupid ad. Well, what if the stupid ad was actually something important to know about? Yeah. It's like those, remember the like, the more you know campaign? Yeah. Oh, I love the more you know with the rainbow. The more you know. Yeah. 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 But like, you remember those and they stay, I mean, Mm -hmm. it is advertising, but for- With a purpose. With a purpose, right. With a purpose, yeah. And I believe in in social entrepreneurship. So I believe we can make a viable business while doing good in the world. And so that's what I'm here for. And that's where it came from. And I've always, um, as a masculine and presenting woman, television wasn't a viable option for me. And I realized that while I was an undergrad, I thought I was going to be the next Robin Roberts. I wanted to do play-by-play announcing on like ESPN and ABC Sports. But I began to think like, man, ain't nobody like me. There's nobody on television as a woman wearing a suit doing that work. Not nobody. Which is, it could it could create a niche for you, right? Like that's not a bad thing once you're on the air. But yeah. for, to get that path, like you're, you would have to claw through to yeah. even create that path to get that's there. right that's right and i wasn't interested in clawing because right. yeah. i had already been in des moines i had went did my grad work in ithaca new york i was like i need the city i i need yeah. some poc people in my life and i was like i'm not gonna go the route that you'd have to go when you're on on the route that that path was just starting a small market work your way up you, oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, you know that that's the that's what you, you have know, to do working a small market is like boise like you're exactly. not starting in a in a market that's like got any POC. No, not even that. That's actually a bigger small market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Boise is like a big city. Yeah. You'd have to go work like 
our both of our partners are from rural parts of the upper Midwest. And I just think mm -hmm. like when we go to visit my partner's family in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, there there's a smaller market than Eau Claire, way up north, like mm -hmm. near the Canada yeah. border. Yeah. Really? Nobody wants to live there. Yeah. Nobody, Nobody wants to live in the middle of Utah. Like, well, and then being a QT Pac in in a small market like that, you're actually othering your you're making you're creating more distance to that end goal of being a queer black woman calling game. It was all too much. It yeah. was all too much. I was like, but also the experience I had in undergrad when I, I had the opportunity to turn on Tom Joyner in the morning at a radio station. And we all know maybe who Tom Joyner is, but epic, right? And a legend in radio. And I had the opportunity to turn him on and then do like the weather and the traffic for Des Moines. And people started calling me like, oh, I love your voice. I love hearing you in the morning. I'm so glad you're on the station. And I was like, nah, this... Now, this is yeah. something I can get down with. I don't have to look at anybody. No one has to see me. I can speak into a microphone, be heard by thousands of people and uh, and be good. And and that's when I really began to fall in love with radio. I started having host my own show, radio show on campus. And then that's the direction I ended up taking um, for my own self-preservation mm -hmm. um, in so many ways. And I just felt like radio is different than television and that people trust radio hosts. People trust the voice, because there aren't any visuals to go along with it that's distracting me. I don't feel like anyone's reading off a teleprompter. It feels more authentic. And uh, there's a connection that's different. And that just, that, that touched me. And so I've been hooked ever since. Yeah. So were you out in college? I was. Did you come out during college? I came out during college, during my freshman year in college. So I, I was out there, but I wasn't out at home. <laughs> so I, you know, it was one of these things where I was bringing my girlfriend home and my mama didn't know it was my girlfriend. And then when Aww. she found out, she was like, wait, were y'all sleeping in the same room? We ain't having that around here. I don't care who you are. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I just like to see, I just, it's really uh, encouraging sometimes to see that like moms are the same regardless. <laughs> regardless. You, you bring your boy home, bring girl home. Did you sleep in the same bed? Oh yeah. yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Wait. Yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. Right. It, it does not it did not matter at all. Okay. In my uh ultra uh Lutheran Christian home. Oh my okay. gosh. Yeah. Would you have considered yourself questioning through high school or did you know you just weren't out? Like what what was your high school experience on the yeah. south side of Chicago? I had some experiences um in high school, but mm -hmm. they were scary to me. And I didn't really, I wasn't out at all. It was very fearful. I was a big basketball player. I, I was playing AU ball. That scared me. It was like, everybody gay. I got to go. Um, it was a lot. I grown up. I had grown up in the church, very conservative uh, Christian family growing up, you know, uh, Wednesday and Sundays. Okay. Wednesday for Whoa. Bible study and choir wow. rehearsal Sundays for church. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, serious stuff. Okay. And it's Lutheran. <laughs> it's the Missouri Senate. It's the most uh, conservative a denomination for Lutheran faith. First of all, something called the Missouri Senate sounds conservative. It is, okay. <laughs> and I got a mama that grew up in Mississippi, Kojic, right? Kojic is the most conservative of Christians, uh, I, I, black Christians specifically. And then my father's side of the family, they started their own church on the, on the on the south side of Chicago, Missionary Baptist Church. Yeah, they couldn't even find a conservative enough church. In no. No, Chicago. They're like, we gotta no. do this on our own. <laughs> yeah, uh huh, exactly. So I like on Easter, I had two Easter speeches. You know what I'm saying? We Christmas, we went to two churches. We was in like, this was my growing up. So I didn't know how my family was going to react to me. 
Um, didn't know what that was going to be like. So in college, I was building up my own family. Like, I'm going to come out, but I don't know what's going to happen. They'd be like, I'm going to be here for you and everything. Um, but my family was very, um, they surprised me. You know, you just don't, you don't know how much somebody loves you until you have to do something like come out. And um, they've been incredibly supportive. My my dad, <laughs> he's a funny guy. He's, uh, I have an event at Sidetrack every year called the Purple Tie Affair where we give back to some of my favorite nonprofits. And Sidetrack, for everyone that doesn't know, is one of the gayest, biggest bars ever um, in a whole country. It's in Boys Town. It's in Boys Town, okay? Yeah. And my dad shows up every single year. They can't wait to see him. He comes in with a full suit, looking like he's about to preach a whole sermon. And my mom, <laughs> my aunt come in there. He's sitting in the front row with all the gays, okay? It is a beautiful thing. People that, love to see oh, him. That's awesome. That is awesome. I want an invitation to that event the next time it happens. October 7th. October 7th. Fucking fun. <laughs> yes, I'm done. I'm there. <laughs> yes. That sounds I am awesome. there. That sounds like so much fun. It's awesome. We have a concert silent auction. Uh, we have a good time together for a few hours. Um, and this year, this year we're raising money for Sisters in Cinema, which is a nonprofit here um, serving Black uh, women, non-binary folks in filmmaking. Very cool. Anna, Thank I'm you. so bad with the misgendering of my nibbling. Like she, they're 13. I've known them for 13 years as something else and so I'm like mm -hmm. totally supportive I what I mean what do you anything that you need I'm here except for the goddamn pronouns I'm so bad it's it's a it's a practice right and I think one of the in the beginning for me one thing that helped me was that I just always just use folks names um that's because, what their dad does that's what Shayla she's husband does yeah yeah I just use their name because and that that really helped me in my transition of pronouns uh was it's just that and oftentimes if I don't know someone's pronoun I'll just use their name instead of trying because I know some people struggle with the English language they'd be mm. like that's not how I was taught to speak in and I was like I understand but this is how this person wants to identify so you can choose their yeah. name or yeah, you can correct. choose the, the they them series, like whatever well, feels good, right? And, and to be honest, my set, my almost seven year old is way better at it than I am. Oh yeah, they they learn so quickly. My daughter will be like, ah, you said she, it's they. Like, oh, it's just so like, okay, now I got it, thanks. Yep, yeah. Children's brains are plastic and yeah. adults' brains are kind of, you know, whatever Concrete. ruts. Whatever ruts we put in there, there's there. And it's hard to dig yourself out of the rut and put it, get a new groove going. Yeah. No, but Isha would like that Sisters in Cinema. I think they would really like that. Yeah. Yeah, they're building a multimedia art center on the, in South Shore. They broke ground um, earlier this year. It's exciting. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing the building. So the fun, the money's going to go towards their building fund and all that good stuff. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. So... I'll actually, yeah. um, I'll give you the link to the purple tie page on our website um, because it'll be updated shortly with like all the details for October um, as we finalize things. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Love that. Thank you. You said in high school, you were very like not going there, uh -uh. not can't think about it. Mm -mm. And then, but it's, when you went to college, it was like, was it like a light bulb moment or were you like waiting to go there like be away from home to feel like okay this is a safe place where I'm like 
if it goes to hell in a handbasket, I could just leave and no one would ever know about it. Yes, exactly. And my mom, I know it hurt my mom's feelings a lot um, because she brought it to me as an adult. I would say all the time, like, I can't wait to go to college. I can't wait to leave. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that that stung her as an adult. I can see that. But it was just about me finding myself and being comfortable and getting away um, from the house so I can begin to know who in a world I am in this world (laughs) and what it looks like. And let me tell you, ain't nothing like a girlfriend to bring you out. Okay. That, that's just plain and simple. Ain't nothing like that to, to make you be like, well, maybe I should tell my mom. Uh, and so all oh, those things funny. play together. And then I also ended up finding in college a really supportive group of friends, like an incredibly supportive group of friends who were like, yeah, whatever. Did you feel like you didn't have that in high school? Not in that way. I mean, I went to a very conservative I mean, I went to a Lutheran high school. My father was the principal, right? <laughs> the dean of students, the everything. The oh my, deacon. God. Right. my dad does everything. He marries people. He does funerals. He preaches um, from time to time. Like Womb to tomb. Womb to tomb. I mean, yeah. and I was a product of that. It was so funny. My aunt gave me a box of things, of pictures and stuff like that and, uh, recently. And she also had a speech that I wrote that I actually won an award for. Um, it was a, a speech I did for the VFW. And I did an acronym. And the acronym, one of the acronyms was R and I said religion. And I was like, religion should be in our politics. We should be following oh. God. And I was just like, good grief. Child, you <laughs> was. <laughs> I was right off the conservative bandwagon in so many ways. I was going to say, yeah, you, you learned. Well, your, your parents did a good job. Of they did an amazing job. You. Well, I think, you know, what's, what's, so similar, the experience that you're describing is really similar to the experience that a lot of immigrants of color have. And I'm not sure if, you know, like my friend Liz from the first season and Kosha's friend and Marie also from the first season who are, you know, white people who are first generations, but first generation people of color often described feeling like they had to wait to leave the house to figure out who they really were. Because mm-hmm. the expectations um, of your family, and it's not just your parents, but your whole community weighs so heavily on you um, that, and you care about those people. You're not like, God, screw you. I, don't, I can't wait to, you know, they're your friends, your family. You love them to be ostracized for who you are is devastating. If you don't have anyone else next to you to be like, but I'm here for you. Everything that we did was a representation or a reflection on 1.3 billion Indian people. Like our parents were eagle-eyeing, like not just what you do looks bad for us, but like all of India. Cause we grew up in a tiny little primarily white area in central Illinois. And it was yeah. like, you really felt the weight of the world on you. Like you are representing what Indian people are. Yeah. I, yeah, I see what you're saying about like, even though you went to a PWI, did you, okay. So did you feel like all eyes were on you too, because you were a black woman in a primarily white institution? Well, they always on you. I mean, you walk into a room and you're the only one of you. Right. Um, And so that, that's just a very stark reality. Also a decision I made, a very conscious decision I made to go to a PWI versus going to an HBCU. 
Mm-hmm. I, I I felt like I wanted to see what the world was going to be like in real life. And for our listeners who don't know, PWA oh. is primarily a white institution cool. and an HBCU is historically black college and university college and university. I was like, what's the C? Okay. Yeah, that's so. correct. Mm-hmm. So I made that very conscious decision that, and this is where I wanted to go. And also they the ones who were willing to give us some money for being black. Right. And showing up and being oh. ourselves. Very good point. And those things were appealing to me. And, um, but there was also a very supportive black community there. There was a black cultural center. They were, um, they were very tight knit. And I was like, I like this. And it was small, right? I, I, my churches were small. My school was small. I wanted a smaller environment. So you still went to church? Oh, not there, but just in general, just oh, okay. smaller, smaller environments I worked better in. Um, and honestly, even in college, my a lot of my activism and advocacy was around being black and not about my sexual orientation because uh, that was still very white. LGBTQ things are still very white. And I was still figuring out who I was. And in those spaces, oftentimes, as you all know, living in intersections, you show up as one thing and not the other thing. What do people want me to be here? What do people want me to be here? So showing up as my full self while still learning who I was, was not an option for me. And so I, my advocacy was around black folks being safe, um, having programs directed towards us that uplifted us having speakers, et cetera. So that was my focus in undergrad. Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind talking to us about your first relationship and sort of like how that came to be and how the light bulbs went off for you? I can't talk about the first one, but <laughs> I could talk about the second one. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, the second one was in undergrad and we were together for four years, three to four years, like pretty much my entire college experience. Yeah. And it was wonderful. I can say today we are friends and we, we talked probably a month or so ago. And we run into each other here in Chicago all the time. Uh, but she was a big part of me knowing who I was. So people saw a lot of potential in me that I don't always see, right? I'm just being myself. Um, but she, I remember one time she said, once you realize how who you are and what you can do in the world, you're going to be unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And, and I still remember that because it hit me like, what does she mean by that? Um, and it wasn't until recently until I, re- I really understood what she meant. So she had been sort of courting me for a little bit. Was it obvious that she was courting you? Oh, yeah, it was obvious. Okay, all right. It was very obvious. In some cases, if it's so subtle, you're just like, oh, she just wants to be my friend. Yeah. If, if you're not clued into that, then it's like, what's happening, right? So. Yeah, no, no, it was obvious. And. And there was still, I was out, but there was still parts of me that wasn't. So it wasn't like mm. I was, I wasn't out wearing rainbows. Okay. Um, there was still parts <laughs> of me that was not comfortable <laughs> with mm-hmm. that, but there were a few people that knew and she, she knew, and we were at a party one night and I was on the couch. I'll never forget this. And she laid, laid the biggest kiss on me on the planet. Wow. And I was just like, Oh, so this is and, happening. Oh, this happened. And I was like, I like it. <laughs> and um, and, that, and then after that, we really started, you know, we got together pretty much after that. And we were together for all of undergrad. It was amazing. She's an amazing person, hella intelligent, um, family very supportive at that time. 
they, you know, and she's someone who has a story about her family not being supportive. Wow. Um, and, and right. And she experienced housing instability and homelessness and, you know, what it means to jump from bed to bed with her friends and getting support from her friends, which was a complete stark contrast to my life. That just right. wasn't my life. So um, all of that was true for her. But she, you know, she was everything. She was beautiful and intelligent and supportive. And, you know, I'm a, I'm more of a, I'm an empath in some ways. I'm very sensitive. And so they always have my back. I find myself surrounded by fighters, you know, mm-hmm. and things would happen around me. I wouldn't know. And they'd be like, I took care of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel you on so, that one. I yeah. totally feel it. So she is, that that is her to me. Okay. Right? Like I'm the empath. I'm like, I'm like, this person said something to me. I don't. And then she'll, she'll be like, oh, hell no. Like, <laughs> like, do I bring the shovel or do I just need to give you an alibi? You know? Like, yes. That's how it goes. Right. Yes. So that's, that is my truth. And so <laughs> she was, she was my fighter um, and just really kind. Uh, we broke up because it was, we graduated and I went off to Ithaca, New York. So, so many of them stayed back in Iowa. She stayed back in Iowa and we tried to distance. It didn't work. Uh, communication was awful. I was a terrible communicator. Um, I'm a Virgo. So I, I just keep things in at that time. I didn't really talk very well. I recognize that. Thank God for therapy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. All the things. <laughs> uh, and I recognize that I lost some friendships because of that. Like, I just felt like everybody took her side. It was just, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, you're 22 you don't know you don't know anything like you think you know so much there there's a there's a lot of things you know but there's plenty of things you don't and um so it, that was a bit of a tough time because I felt like um because they were there together they were still like really close sure. and I felt like I was just moving a far away and the distance the, the distance impacted what we what we had going on um so that was my uh, my second one I can't talk about the first one that's right. fine that's you fine. know what it's, we always say to all of our guests you know, you get to say yes and no to whatever you want. We're not in the business of like trying to trap you into telling There's a story no gotchas, or whatever. Yeah. There's oh, no, yeah, yeah, no right. gotchas. Yeah. No gotchas. So what, she was the one that you brought home to your parents? Yes. Yes. And the moment I said I came out, it was like, is Tasha your girlfriend? <laughs> How did you know? Uh, and then they'd be like, is that why this other person never comes over anymore? And then they just started putting their things together. And I was uh, like, yeah, that'd be why they don't come home. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> was that your mom? That's like, yeah, my mom and my sister, your mom, and yeah. your sister. And yeah. And so, and you had mentioned before that you had to come out your, to your dad several times. Oh yeah. But what was that? Was that like a refusal to believe? Oh yeah. Or was that like a, it's a phase? Oh, total phase, refusal to believe. I haven't found the right guy. I believe that was his quote. You just haven't found the right guy yet, Anna. I was like, Mm. I don't think that's it, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I also think he felt a lot of guilt, right? I was a a daddy's girl. My mom, when I was growing up, she worked really far out in the burbs. So I spent a lot of time with my dad because she had to commute and drive, you know? So when you talk about going to school every day and all these things, like, my dad was the principal of a school. Almost every kid that went through that school was my babysitter at some point. I got picked up, <laughs> dropped off there. You know, my aunt was the secretary. Like we, it, I was with my dad. We, I played basketball. You know, he's a gym rat. I grew up a gym rat. He's a coach. Um, so we talk was, about, Chelsea and I talk about like the uh, default parent, like the parent who kind of 
is there for the kid, like for making sure they're fed and making sure they have medicine and making sure there's toilet paper in the house and stuff yeah. like that. It's usually the woman, but it sounds like in your house, your dad was the default parent. He was the default parent outside the house. My mama oh. took care of the house. Like okay. he didn't do none of that because he was never at home. He stayed working. Okay. He man works all day, every day, even to this day. But so much of my life was outside of the home because I was such an active kid. So um, I just spent a lot of time with him. So we, I mean, he would take me to the Mr. Shop to get clothes, right? I would go to Mr. Shop with him to get clothes. We have the same, our initials are the same. And he'd get his initials uh, engraved on his shirts. So I would wear his shirts, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think he felt a lot of guilt. I think he felt like he had something to do with how I presented, um, you know, why I love women. I think he felt like he did something wrong. Like there's too much too much masculine influence in your yes. upbringing. So then it's like you didn't, you couldn't identify with what it meant to be a woman and be attracted to men. You were now attracted to women because you identified with your dad. Right. I think he felt a lot of that. Yeah, I, I think he did. But I believe my mom knew <laughs> long before, you know, anyone else. I mean, I, I was very clear. I didn't want to wear dresses. I was very clear. That was not my jam. My mama was so sad okay any baby picture you see i mean there is bowls that match ruffle socks okay <laughs> and that she's that lady right and yeah. my borets match if i went out of town i had match everything was matching and she, that's her that is she's amazing mom she had you dolled up huh she i was dolled up okay so that moment that moment i was like mom i want to wear that the, the moment i hated shopping it took a piece of her I'm sure it devastated her, right? I didn't want to go. I'd be like, why don't you just pick something up? For prom, literally, she went out and got my prom dresses and came back home, was like, which one you want? I was like, fine. I guess I'll take this one. How about the top? Can I wear the tops? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, that that it was just always my case. And even, I remember a rumor in high school, somebody started a rumor like Anna's gay too. And they were like, that ain't, Anna's not gay. That's just how she dresses. You know, uh-huh. it's just how she is. Not that I'm gay. And I, of course, I wasn't claiming that at that time. So I was like, who started that room? And that ain't right. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. right, right, right. So. You and I had similar tastes when we were children. Like, I didn't like dresses. I was not a frilly clothes kid. Uh, my mom would bemoan the fact that I would ride bikes and get dirt and leaves in my hair mm. and get scraped up. And I was always like, just like one of those rough and tumble kids Hmm. and she always wanted to put me in the frilliest (laughs) you know frilliest dresses there's some pictures of me wearing outfits as a young child where my mom has clearly chosen them and Koshi has a picture of one of them my face is like the face of pure discontent like (laughs) I just look so incredibly unhappy also the outfit came with the hat and it came with (laughs) My mom, I don't know if the outfit came with tights, but it. I was wearing tights. And remember, tights in the day were all saggy in the crotch. And I was just like, it's t- the outfit is tight. I have to wear a stupid hat. I don't like hats. And I'm wearing these dumb tights. It was just so miserable. Yes. Um, and I was not a frilly kid. And so, you know, one of the things that used to always get to me is we would go to these Indian cultural celebrations and the boys mm-hmm. would get to wear jeans and like nice shirts or whatever and the girls always you know my parents at least insisted that we would get dressed up in traditional Indian attire which is 
a I lot. Assume you've seen it at some place, right? It's a lot. It's, it's heavy. Lot. Yeah. It's uh, restricting. It's restricting. It's not, doesn't allow you to move freely. And I'm like, they're playing hide and go seek. I want to play hide and go seek. I got to sit here in this stupid outfit. Yeah. Uh, I think it was also sad for my mom that there was a point in my life where I was like, I don't want any of this. Um, I did come back to it a little bit later, but I'm not, I'm still not a frilly person. I think Kosha would agree that like, I'll do a dress now and again. My dresses are all like navy black. Like, if I ever mean, like they're like columns. They're like, <laughs> it doesn't go out at all. Yeah. I barely do any like designs. Like it's all like solids. Like one of my dresses has stripes on it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's a bit much. Getting a little wild. No, yeah. no. She's like, she'll like show it to you and she'll be like, look how fancy my dress is. I'm like, it. <laughs> has stripes stripes yeah yeah hello yeah so you said that your mom kind of always knew and your dad was like you had to tell you had to tell him several times do you think that he knew yeah was it blissful ignorance and that he didn't want to accept or was he was he like many dads are no offense to dads but many dads are a little bit like not paying attention to that thing. Clueless. Not paying attention to that thing. I think he's okay. just completely clueless. I think he was living in the, that's just Anna's, that's just Anna. Mm-hmm. That's just right. who she is. You know, I was a four sport athlete. I, you know, I'm just, that's just Anna. You know, but also because he, um, he quote, did that to you. Like that he gave you the clothes and he took you to the gym. And so right. he was like, well, she's, you know, that it made more sense to him that that was just oh. Anna because- right. He was with you. It, there was yeah. no like, well, why are you doing that thing? He was, he put right. you in those things. That's right. That's right. And right. as a force, force for an athlete, like that is some serious stuff. What that, the hell did you play? You said basketball. Yeah. So, Softball. so my school was pretty small. So okay. you already know everybody want to play basketball. So my dad inst- instituted a rule that if you wanted to play a winter sport, you had to play a fall sport so that there were always fall sports uh, as well. So I played volleyball because I wasn't running cross country. <laughs> so I played volleyball, which I actually ended up being pretty good at. I was a setter in volleyball. So I played volleyball, I played basketball. Then I played softball and my dad was the track coach. So he was like, you coming out here, we need somebody to throw the shot put and the discus. And at the same time, you can go do the triple jump and the long jump. So I would go to softball games, some on uh, softball games and then track meets on the weekends. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which, you know, that only adds to this, like, I'm just going to wear, I'm just going to wear comfortable, easy, you know, non-frilly clothes because I play so many sports. I don't have time That's to right. be like, yeah, I just got to be able to shed my clothes and go or be able to pull the track jacket and the track pants on and go. Right. Yeah. You I mean, were either in uniform, like, like sports uniforms, or you were in athletic clothes to practice. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I played Pretty soccer much. from high school through into like a couple years of college. And it was the same where I'm like, during soccer season, nothing fancy was happening. Cause I'm like getting, I'm getting out of class and I'm literally dropping my book bag and grabbing my, you know, grabbing my, uh, you know, my workout gear and then going. Um, and then like the only time I would would wear nice, not like not even jeans. Like the only time I wear nice stuff is like once soccer season was over and I played indoor winter. So it was really like spring. Yeah. That I, could, I would <laughs> eat, like, you know, that, like any nice clothes would ever come out. Um, just because it was yep. like, what's the point? I got to go straight to straight to the field and I'm not going to wear nice things. So, yeah. So what was the point that your dad, like it sank in? Cause you said you had to come out to him three or four times. Like at what point was he's like, where he's like, 
okay, it's not a phase or it's not because of me or, you know, like you, you're not looking for a man. It's not that you haven't met him, but you're not looking for one. Well, my work, I think it was my work really with the radio station. I ended up having a launch party at one point and that was just another coming out because my work is all about LGBTQ folks. I think it began to sink in when I did the launch party. I invited my family, you know, you know, his best friend was there. I think he had to have some conversations with people who he trusted. I think there was probably some hesitancy around how people were going to be accepting or not. Um, all those things. And when I think after that launch party, it started to sink in like, maybe this, I guess she's serious. <laughs> I yeah. guess this is for real, for real. Yeah, right. Now she's putting money behind it. Yeah, exactly. And time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I want to shift a little bit. And, you know, we'd mentioned that we'd sort of touched on this before. Um, and you'd said, like, you know, when you walk into a room, you know, like these people expect you to focus on this, that you're this is your identity that you, you can be here in this room. Um, and you can't be both or multiple identities because it's too it's too much. We can't handle it. Right. Well, and that's what Haas was. That's what Haas was talking about. He's like, I'm already brown Muslim Arab. Now I'm gay. Like I'm, I'm so that like people are going to look at me and be like that too. Right. You can't be all of those things at the same time. It will make people's brains, brains explode. explode. Yeah. Um, but what, what was that? Inter like what's been your experience of the intersection between race and, and, and sexuality, particularly since you know, and we've heard this from other people that the LGBTQA space plus space is largely dominated by white gay men. Mm -hmm. And to some extent now, white lesbians, mm -hmm. right? But then like the rest of the letters are all basically like, you know, if you want to stand on the sidelines and cheer mm -hmm. for us, you're welcome to do that in the parade. Yes. Exactly. Uh, it's, it, it has been, a um, let me find the words. It has been a journey to be able to be my full self in spaces. So I believe it goes both ways. There was a time when I wasn't comfortable being my full self in a space. So decompartmentalizing who I am was easier for me. And then there are times absolutely when people want you to focus we are here talking about black issues. We are here talking about black women's issues. Um, we're not here talking about black queer women's issues. Uh, I, I had to go out and find communities where there were people like me who lived in all of these intersections and all these identities. So I could see examples of what that looked like. What does it look like for someone like me to thrive? Um, I found Affinity Community Services, which has been a life uh, changing community for me of black uh, queer women, professional women, community folks who are incredibly supportive and who understand <laughs> uh, what it means to be us in the world. And then I also found a community called Church Within a Church, which is hella white, but they are some of the dopest white people I've ever met in my life. And also, you know, loving God is a big part of my identity. Uh, and it's been a big part of my journey too. So don't get queer folks talking about God, okay? Because that is not part of the conversation because the church has caused so much harm. So there's just so many identities um, and things I'm passionate about that get left out of the picture. 
church within a church though, being an anti-racist organization who actively practices anti-racism as white folks in that space, they, I can talk about God and I could talk about God as she, and I can talk about God in all the intersections and I could talk about the lost books of the Bible and I could talk about all these things and all these questions I had. And that was a beautiful space for me to find community as well. And all of these things have led me to the person I am today in that I'm going to show up as who I am and I don't care who is in the room. And we're going to hear about all these intersections of my identity and we're going to be able to sit with that and we all going to be okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's definitely been a journey to get to that place. It's always amazing when I hear people say, I've, I've been told, and I've heard this too in, in places I've been and not particularly directed at me, but about some of the work I've done, which is like, oh, well, we're focused on this thing. Um, you know, we're focused on women's reproductive rights or justice, but we're not focused on Black women's reproductive experiences to which, you know, my response is always like, black women are women though. Like right. black queer women are black women. And to exclude a part of a larger population because they have a sub identity that makes you uncomfortable or maybe it's like just too much where it's like, oh, it's also complicated. Like it's very like, uh, uh, it's a very victim mentality almost. Like, oh, I can't handle this. It's so like, I need a fainting couch. It's so hard. It's not that hard. Right. People are capable of ha holding and handling complexity should yeah. they want to. That's right. I couldn't agree with you more. Well said. That is yeah. very well said. So yeah. that's really awesome. And I'm just like looking stuff up as you're talking. And I was like, oh, church within the church sounds amazing. <laughs> they're, they're an amazing collective. And I like, how do you find these communities? Is, is it very self-directed where you're like, I need to find somewhere that I could talk about my relationship with God. Um, and I, and I understand why, like, that's an, in, that's a personal intersection, right? Like I am a queer black woman who has this background in the church. And I also understand why, you know, QT or, you know, LGBTQ people don't want to have relationships with God because mm -hmm. that, those are institutions that have done so much harm to your point. Is Kosha, well, I want to just be real clear that I think a lot of LGBTQA people want to have to continue their relationship with God, but they can't find a way to do it in a church that feels like an institution that feels welcoming, right? Like so many institutions are like, well, now get the hell out. Basically. Yeah, you can't. You That's can't. right. Right. And so I'll say, I, okay. So this is, a, uh, there's always a story. Yeah, and no, that's why, that's why we're here. <laughs> that's why we're here, right? And so I lived on the north side of Chicago over a number of years. And my ex and I, we were raising her nephew. And uh, I call him my nephew's son. And we were walking through the neighborhood one day and he, this, the choir was singing and he stopped and he started looking in the window and he was like, I want to go here. And we hadn't been looking for anywhere to go to church, but we went. And it was uh, Broadway United Methodist Church, which has a long history of being um, social justice centered, anti-racist, inclusive. United Methodist Church is not, but you know, there's always things going on over there with people fighting against that big machine. But there are inclusive churches as, as a part of UMC and Broadway was one of them. So we started going to that church and the church within the church movement, they had an office in the basement at that time. And they were like, and I think you'll really enjoy this community of folks. And that's really 
how I came to know about them. And Broadway United Methodist Church was also a life-changing experience for me because I had never been in a church where God was she, where, where, where people were like, yeah, if God's a reflection of you, then wouldn't God be she? Can't God be she? God can be he. Uh, God can be they. And I had never been also in a church where at the beginning of every Sunday, there is this preamble that's, that is a radical welcome. I had never been in a church where they made it an intentional welcome to say, if we welcome gay, lesbian, queer, trans, non-binary, every identity you can possibly think of, black, white, red, yellow, orange, ethnicity, they named it. And as people would come up and say, hey, I, you, I didn't hear my identity, they would add, right? There was never a limit to this preamble of radical welcome. And I had never experienced that before in my life. And I was like, this is amazing. And they have spoiled me from church ever since. I don't go there anymore. You know, things have changed, not, not their belief system, but um, pastors change, you know, uh, that the vibe kind of right, shifted, right. you know, that, that type of thing happens. But they've spoiled me because now I'm just like, I can't go there. What are they, is there a radical welcome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or are we just not talking about queer people at all? So we're just not going to talk about it. Right. Yeah. So not talking about it is just as bad. Okay. Um, well, that's so, the whole idea of, um, you know, like, well, I'm not racist, but are you anti-racist? Right. Like, so, mm -hmm. so not talking about it is just saying, well, it's just not there versus like actually actively making us better as we that's move right. forward. That's right. So I, I'm, 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 it's terribly hard for me to get me somewhere in a church yeah, today. I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, so I have a, a, a small question, but it's very, it's a very specific question, which is, you know, I'm curious about how people identify um, when they move off of, you know, an extreme or an extreme, right? Like, I'm 100% gay, I'm 100% straight, and then sort of how, and not to say that you, you're anywhere except for, you know, 100% who you are, right? Mm -hmm. But that, what's, God, this is going to sound weird. Why the word queer, right? Like, what does mm -hmm. that mean to you? I think that is where I want to go, which yeah. is, why queer? What does that mean to you as opposed to being like, I'm a lesbian? Yeah. So I found the word queer when I was in Ithaca, New York. And I had gone to a conference at Cornell and it was a queer conference um, for folks. And I was like, and that was the first time I had really heard it. And of course you're gonna hear it in academia first because there was queer studies. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, hmm. And- Both of us have our masters also. So we've been through that like upper level graduate um, academia. So I'm, both of us are like, oh, yep. I totally am, I'm with you. <laughs> yes, it's like this is where these things start, right? Correct. And and then they become part of a lexicon. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. And they started talking, there was a conversation around identities. And I just realized that, yeah, I do love women, but I also love a good drag queen, okay? And so I was like, hmm, that doesn't fit the, the definition of being a lesbian, right? It doesn't fit because lesbian and gay have very strict definitions. Bisexual has a very strict definition. And I was like, I don't think I'm very strict in any of these definitions. Mm. But there's this word queer that lends itself to a spectrum. And it lends itself to, re it also lends itself to opportunities to grow outside of yeah. this um, label or identity. 
And it felt really good. It mm-hmm. felt really good. And I'm not of a generation where queer was bad. Right. I'm not the I'm not of the generation where queer was used as a as a hateful term. I think we are from the same generation. Right. So yeah. like the generation before us would probably be like they don't like the word. It was so yeah derogatory. Right. Yeah, it's very derogatory. They do not like that word at all. <laughs> but for me, it, it felt like, wow, what a perfect way to label or to if I need to label or say who I am, this is a perfect word for me to use. That's really the impetus for me using the word queer is that I I think a good drag queen looks amazing. I think there's trans women out here that are beautiful, you know, uh, and that does not fit within the strict definition of what it is to be a lesbian. So thank you so much for that. And the grace that which you with which you explained it, because, you know, it's sometimes hard to be like, I don't understand, but I also don't want to be disrespectful. Sure. Um, and so I really appreciate that. And it like when you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, like it's a mind expanding moment for me. I'm like, oh, now I get it. And it's very personalized, I think, too, which is like, mm-hmm. right. So um, one person's gender queer is another person's non-binary one person's lesbian is another person's you know sort of sexuality queer basically and I will say too right now I think there's a resurgence of people trying to reclaim the word lesbian right I think there's a generation of um, lesbians who feel like they're being forgotten because the word is not being used as much as it used to be so there's a whole movement of people who are reclaiming the word lesbian and I think that they should I think anybody you should be proud of being gay you should be proud of being lesbian however you identify sure and I think that there's value in all of it and at the end of the day what we want is equity so let's Absolutely. just keep focusing on the goals and identify however you choose to. Well, and you know how you, what I, what I really, I like connected with when you were talking about that was when you're like, people really want like bisexual means a thing and you can't go outside of that. And I think that, you know, I was talking to a girlfriend of mine and she goes, so what's the difference between like pansexual and bisexual? Like you have to have a definition. Like it has to be like a, Wikipedia page. What does what's the tick boxes? And what I really like about the word queer is that you're very clear about being outside of the heteronormativity, the sexual normativity, but it allows for some gray, some movement, some change, which I think is really important in this world where everyone's so like, what are you? Mm-hmm. Yes, all of that. And I think that the need for there to be a definition, I think is also just a product of being in a white supremacist patriarchal uh, system that wants to classify you. So then, then they can say this, this, that, and that third about you. Okay. Are you part of us or are you other? <laughs> or are you other? Exactly, exactly. And, so I think- and if, you're, if you're other, I need to know exactly how you're other. So exactly. I need to know exactly how I can think about you. I know how mm-hmm. I can sub- subvert you. So I need to know exactly how you're othered in all exactly. of the categories. That's right. That's right. So I'm, yeah, I want to loop back around the cube now because I think, but we just talked about how certain words can can subvert the patriarchy, white supremacy, because it gives people like a moment to be like, I, I can't easily categorize you. And that's where my where my hook back is with Cube, which is it sounds like a platform that can't be easily categorized. It's not like, oh, we just do, you know, we just raise BIPOC voices or we just raise queer voices or, you know, we just uh, raise 
certain language voices. It's it's so intersectional in such beautiful ways. So can you talk a little bit about your inspiration for that? Again, like the deep, deeper inspiration. And then like what you're really hoping will come from launching this app and like where you'd like to see it go in the next couple of years. Yeah, so I, I realized very quickly that I'm extremely passionate about BIPOC and QTPOC folks. I am just as passionate around black and brown folks um, getting equity as I'm around queer and trans folks getting equity um, in this country. And I can't separate them. <laughs> I just can't separate them. And I, I believe that there's a lot of beautiful stories and values, music that deserve to be heard, that are not heard and amplified and invested in. I, I mean, I just did a pitch competition. I looked at 50 of the top podcasts on Spotify across categories, over 100, over 100 hosts, and only seven identify as BIPOC. Seven. Now you telling me that's because BIPOC folks aren't creating podcasts. No, oh, right. Absolutely. No, it is truly lack of investment and lack of visibility for those podcasters, period. And they can do better. <laughs> and, it, and it, you know, one of my favorite quotes I use all the time by Shirley Chisholm. She is my person. OK, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And I'm sitting here like we brought plenty of chairs to this podcast and situation. Mm -hmm. And now it's just time for us to build our own table. I was going to say earlier when you're like, I want to be in the room where it happens, right? That's Shout right. out to Lin-Manuel Miranda and all of Hamilton. I'm also a Hamilton fan. But what they did there was like, sometimes you have to open the door to a new room and create the room that is going to be filled with the people that we need to be in there versus fighting our ways into these in these other rooms. That's right. That's right. We create our own spaces. I've, I've always felt like if there can be a BET, if there can be a TV one, a radio one, right. Um, then there can be an E3. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I, and I truly believe that what I'm hoping to your question is that in a couple of years that we can begin to show that there is value in these communities. There is value in these creators that um, there is a market for these folks and the people that are listening to them and that they, and that they deserve it. Right. Um, and they deserve it to be seen and heard. So what does it look like going forward? I'm still trying to figure out how I want to position it. People have told me, Anna, we would acquire you in a second once you get up and running and bring all this content to us because they need it. They want it, but they don't got the time or the energy to, to curate it. They want you to do it. They want you to curate it. And then that's right. Right. I've also heard uh, Anna talk to us about distribution. What what does it look like for the cube to be an Apple podcast and be the place where people can go and find this content? So people have talked to me about distribution. And then there's people who be like, Anna, this is your thing. Be like Linda, you know, the person who owns Linda.com. Be like her holdout forever. <laughs> um, you know, which is also an, a privilege. OK, that is a privileged option. I don't I don't have that privileged option necessarily. Uh, right. I got a wife, a puppy. A mortgage, mm -hmm. a mortgage. Uh, and I don't <laughs> and I don't come from money right so I'm, I'm in a couple of years I, I'm dreaming about what that could look like for the queue but my at the heart of it all is that I want to amplify BIPOC and QTPOC voices I want there to be an opportunity for them to make money 
the creators to make money. I also want to create our own content. So that's going to be part of the app is that we are going to create exclusive content. That is what paid subscribers will have the access to. There's absolutely a free version of the app. There's no barriers there. But we also are going to create some exclusive content as well. Uh, and, you know, some of the initial ideas is a storytelling podcast, one about queer relationships and, and families, because more queer folks are having families. And, and what does that look like to be a queer parent <laughs> today? Um, also, we don't do a series on Black in the church. And I'm hoping that it becomes a series where we talk begin to talk about queer folks uh, in the churches. They are going to talk about queer folks in the church because they live at the intersections. But uh, queer and being Muslim, queer and being Buddhist. Uh, what does it look like to be in those spaces with your identities? Also, one on uh, a drama. I think podcast dramas are amazing. And if you haven't gotten into podcast dramas, Go do that for yourself because <laughs> they are the best. I have not. I have to be honest. I have not. You know, I mostly listen to interview podcasts. I have not. I'm mm. now. Now you gave me a, a assignment. I'm gonna have to okay. Do now this is not a podcast. It's necessarily gonna be an app at all. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's a good entry into what you could do with a podcast drama. It's called The Two Princes. Okay. And um, it was originally done by Gimlet Media, but then of course Spotify bought Gimlet Media. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the two princes—it is a wonderful story. I um, just put in two princes. Don't do that because what you will get is that stupid song from the '90s, which I—I <laughs> I hate that song. Oh, I found it. <laughs> oh my God! It's a brown. It's a brown. It's Rupert and Amir. Yeah. Oh no! 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 We're gonna have to off them. There can only be two siblings that are Indian. Oh, no, 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 no. The two, no, no, no. The two princes are oh, named okay. Rupert and Amir. I thought that the hosts were Rupert and Amir. I was yeah. like, oh, well, that's our competition. And I, no, no, I say no. that in jest because there is enough space for all of us, right? It's not. <laughs> well, it's one of those things where like, who was it? Um, uh, Dave Chappelle talks about going to HBO and they're like, oh no, we don't need you. We already have Chris Rock. Right. Only have one. At the time. And and so that's kind of like, I get what you're saying. Shul. She is like, oh no, no, you can only have one podcast yeah. with siblings that are brown. <laughs> otherwise, yeah. Otherwise yeah. there's no space for us. Too many right. people, it, right? It, yeah, it's yeah. Too yeah. many. It's too much. But Anna, me. I think I think it's really interesting where you're like in a couple of years I don't know because what we're doing is trying to amplify this. So I mean, in in all of our best case scenarios, we won't need what we're doing. You don't need an I am speaking podcast because those people are have their voices. You don't right. need the cube because the algorithms are set to where you see all of those. Right. So that is like you know best case scenario the need yeah. for the cube is gone in 10 years. But we also know that, you know, it's not looking good. So, you know, that this is so important for you to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's ironic in that way. It is. Um, I was recently in a meeting and the question was, so what are you doing to put yourself out of business? Right. And it was an organization doing work uh, for queer folks of color. Right. So what are you doing to get, put yourself out of business? And you got to sit there with that for a little bit and think about, well, I'm not necessarily trying to be out of business, but in an ideal world, we would not be needed in an ideal world, right? There's equity, um, you know, 
there aren't all, all of these anti-trans legislation that's been happening across the country this year, right? Republicans are having an all-out onslaught against trans rights. It's like a going out of business sale for them. It's like they know that they're on the outs and so they're taking all of this power that they have and like, how can we fuck up everything, you know? Because they don't represent America anymore. Mm-hmm. How can we tap into people's ignorance, right? And vulnerabilities. And, and they're doing it at the expense of people. Absolutely. And they're being quite successful at it, I think. But at the same time, they come up against a lot of uh, opposition, which is why it's so incredibly important to support and fund the Lambda Legals, the HRCs, the Equality Illinois yeah. and Equalities across the country who are doing all the work in all of these political spaces to prevent these b- bills that are presented mm-hmm. from actually becoming law. Uh, I'll say Tennessee and Texas. Tennessee has signed the most. They've signed five of them. Uh, they were able yeah. to stop them in Texas, right? Which is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. in so many ways. <laughs> but they are some badass uh, Latinx politicians yeah. down in Texas who are about the business. But it took something so, it took something so huge, right? Of like them all just leaving the state in order for, I mean, it. the fact that they had to do something kind of like that, Radical. Radical. Thank you for the word. Yes. That radical mm-hmm. in order for human beings to continue living their life and their yeah. truth is ridiculous. Yes. And I, you know, I've been in the nonprofit space my whole life. I think I was telling someone recently, I've only had one job that was not a nonprofit job. And that was in college when I worked at a KB toy store for a summer. That was the only time I have not worked <laughs> in the nonprofit space. Um, and that is the question I ask. Mm. Uh, all the time to both myself and to the people I work with, which is like, what are we doing so that we don't have to exist anymore? Our job is not to keep serving the people that we're serving. Our job is to make sure that the people need that we serve have what they need now, but that in, you know, in 10 years or 20 years or a thousand years, we're moving the needle forward every day so that we don't have to exist anymore. Um, and it's, yeah, you know, I think so often, uh, wherever, whoever you are, whatever you are, um, in terms of um, what you're trying to do in the world, if that's what pays your bills, it's a little scary to be like, but if I go out of business, well, how will I pay my bills, right? And that's the truth in the sec- in the nonprofit mm-hmm. sector, and it's very true of of creators, I think, especially like social justice, community activists, um, artists, advocates, and people who are basically like trying to make the world a better place. And you're like, you have to wrestle with the notion that you might succeed. And then what are you going to do? And that's a really scary place to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But a really exciting place. So let me tell you, I'm, in, I'm incredibly encouraged and excited to feel like things are in alignment the timing, uh, the support I've received, it could not be a better time. It couldn't be better. Your timing could not be better and more yeah, neat. Like, and, and what you're doing is could not be coming at a time where it is more needed. Um, and, and I think part of it is the visibility that BIPOC and, you know, LGBT like queer folks like need have, that like, it's never, you know, Obama says like, it. we are actually as bad as things feel, 
we are actually in a place where you can say who you are and you know you can be who you are more than ever before. So the fact that you're doing this to amplify these voices right now is 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 really timely also where you're not it's it's now okay mm-hmm. to say you're a black queer woman and now now what do we do with that? Now we give access to opportunities and, you know, work toward equity and not just equality because equality is not enough. Now, how do we move from there to saying like, well, you can't get beaten up for being black. You can't, you don't have to just drink from this water fountain. You can't get fired for being gay. Okay. That's equality, but there's a huge shift in order to make it to equity. And that is what I see the cube is doing. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. There's two questions we ask, and we've been asking this season, and I get to ask the second to last, and then Kosha gets to ask the last one. She gets to ask like the funnest question of them all. Uh, but my question <laughs> is, and there are so many ways to go with this, right? So you can answer it however you'd like to. Um, but for someone who is listening to this podcast and is thinking, oh, that's me, in whatever intersection of identities you've shared with us today, that's me. What would you say to them if they're like, am I willing to step into that space? Learn how to meditate <laughs> and learn how to be still with your thoughts. I Every morning, if I want it to be a good day, I am spending time in my prayer corner with my uh, my mastermind book and my journals and my candles and pictures of my family to really ground and center myself because being an entrepreneur, doing anything that you're passionate about, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of courage. And the world around you will tell you that it's not the right time. You're not the right person to do this. It'll, It'll fill you with like, with negative thoughts. And when you wake up in the morning, it's the perfect time to center yourself and ground yourself in and connect for me it's connecting with god and my and the spirit of my ancestors and that's why i have the pictures and reminding myself of all the people who have invested in me all the people who have loved on me before i knew what that meant <laughs> and how much energy it took to 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 do that and it reminds me that i have enough in me to to keep going for another day so i'd say if you're thinking about this and you feel like that's me Find time to center yourself, find ways and um, activities that that ground you. I love that. That's such amazing advice. It's so amazing. It's critical advice for almost everyone. Mm -hmm. But I think particularly if you are on the precipice of moving into being an entrepreneur or you're coming out of the closet or you're even at the point where you are able to like ready to to really take some of these identities Mm -hmm. and start to explore them and what does it mean yeah Yeah. it's so so great so thank you so much for that I think I that is that is stunning advice I think because the idea that like when you were outside of the white supremacist patriarchy there is there will be a time during the day unless you're sitting inside your closet like I am but like there will be a time every single day that someone is trying to take you down somewhat or, and that could just be like a negative thought or black women don't do this or women don't do whatever it is. 
starting your day with like those positive thoughts for yourself and reminding yourself why you're doing something can just be a powerful tool. That's, that's awesome. Uh, 150%. And I find that my journal, um, I believe in masterminding your future and writing my points of gratitude are, it is so important because there are small things that happen throughout the day that we don't value in those moments. And so, for example, like being on this podcast with you all and having this very affirming conversation around identity, this is a, a moment of gratitude, right? Uh, for me, it is. Um, earlier today, I, I had a meeting with someone who was just filling me with ideas and thoughts. And, you know, those are moments of gratitude that are easily forgotten when you get into work, going to the grocery store, running for your kids, uh, figuring paying out what's going on, paying your yeah. bills, running to your pup, you can easily <laughs> forget how amazing of a day you had. Like, and then for me now, more than ever, it is a moment to moment thing because life is happening all around us. COVID, there's been so much loss. I've experienced a lot of loss. I'm sure you all have experienced loss, um, tough times. The world will weigh you down outside of just people, stories, the gun violence that's happening in the city of Chicago, people I know that have been affected by that. I mean, like every moment there could be something that's going to be like, what the hell is going on (laughs) that will just take you off your rocker. And you just have to have something in your wheelhouse that is going to ground you and bring you back to yourself because the world will take you from yourself very easily. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the last, yeah, the last question that we have, it's, it's kind of a carryover from our first season, but it was so much fun. And I was like, we're going to put together a book. So in the world of linguistics, the, there's a word called familect and it means like family varieties of language and words and phrases. So like the language that you use within your home or within your family and could be found family that like outside of that family, no one would understand. So I, you're married, you have all of these beautiful communities, you're close to your parents um, and your sister. Are, what are some of these, like the, the familact words or terms is there anything that comes to mind? My mom said, one of my mom's sayings, uh, whistling women and cackling hens come to no good end. I was like, what? Whistling women and cackling hens <laughs> come, to, come, to no- come to no good end. Okay, I get the cackling hens part, but what? why whistling women? Because What's wrong with whistling as, women? As, as a woman, I'm not supposed to whistle. Oh, that mm. is the, really? So I would, I would whistle as a kid and she'd be like, whistling women and cackling hens come to no good end. wow okay you Um, keep whistling (laughs) i know well i do uh but that was it was just that was the first thing that came to my mind was like that funny saying um well me and my wife we we have our own little language we'd be like and she'd be like no no and then and we know exactly what we're saying no one in the world would know what the world you do know what you're saying yeah we it's 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 always in context to something that's happening Uh. in the space and be like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like, we don't want to use words. I don't know what that is. I don't know why it started, but we absolutely do it. And now we have a puppy that talks to us. It's very similar way. And we'd be like, oh. what is she saying? And she, my, my best friend was over the other day and he's like, oh, she's very talkative. And he has a pup, he has a dog, but his dog is a bigger dog and he barks. I was like, no, she very rarely barks. She's going to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's awesome. Yeah. That oh my gosh, awesome. that is really, really cool. Yeah. So, so the best, one of the best examples of Femilex we've heard, which is yeah. like literally anyone besides you and your wife would be like, are they just mumbling? Yes. Oh, for sure. <laughs> there is no way anyone knows what the world we're talking about. Exactly. Well, that's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know the thing that you dry your hands with in the kitchen? My husband calls it a kitchen towel or a dish towel. We call it, na- they're napkins. Oh. Because, <laughs> I, and I don't know if it's in India or just my mom is like, yeah. towels are big napkins are medium size and we didn't have washcloths in our yeah house. we didn't have washcloths we don't oh. use that so and so <laughs> hand towels napkins like are the same because what do you get when you have a paper napkin you don't call it a paper hand towel you call it paper napkin. <laughs> right <laughs> things that you wipe your hands on are called napkins things that you use on your body Child are called towels, towels. I, like, I think and as you could tell we've had this conversation <laughs> several times and we still like both of us still argue with our husbands about it i think mom makes yeah. a lot of sense Thank you. And then there's no difference between a beach towel and a bath towel. It's just a towel. Like, just get the towel. Just get the towel. Right? You don't yeah. use it to dry your body. It's the towel. Exactly. Right. Thank I, you. I'm with mom on this. <laughs> yes. Americans, so Americans always get it wrong. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> and just like they make it more complicated. Why yeah, do you have to put an adjective with everything? I mean, no. the English language is a mess. It's a mess. It is. It is. A mess. It really is. So really anyway, is. we don't want it. We've already kept you. But it's been such a joy. Oh my gosh, this is such a great conversation. <laughs> the time flew by and it's so poignant. Like everything we talked about, I'm like, I felt it. I'm like, I remember, yeah. but I'm like, oh my gosh, Artie, it's almost been two hours. So we yeah. should let you go. Um, yeah. We will. We're going to be respectful of your time, but you know what? We would love to have you back on. Um, um, anytime, please. I'm always happy to join you. I'm going to put it on record that we will submit. I'm going to submit. I am speaking to your cube, I think. And I, yeah, I don't want any special treatment. <laughs> we'll go through the curation process, but I'm definitely, I will definitely submit because I wasn't sure if it was only for QT Pac, but now that you're saying it's BIPOC also, I'll, yes. I'm going to jump in for that. Yes. Very good. So can you tell me something without being, I don't want to sound ignorant here. AAPI, do you, do you all consider yourselves falling under that term? I know. I don't. That's a really good question. No. Most Indian people don't. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Very good. I'm certainly, we're certainly not Pacific Islanders. And I think the mainstream, when you say Asian, South Asians are not part of Asian. Mm. Technically we are because India is a part of Asia, but Desis are not at all what people think of when you say Asian American. Right, right. hundred percent. So, okay. Very I mean, good. it's, it's sort of like in the most broadest sense, I would say yes. But if someone's like, oh, you know, on the check form, we're like, do, do you identify as this and this? I always put other and I put South Asian in. This is very, you know, in, intense and blah, blah, blah. But the issues that South Asians have faced both here and in India and the health issues and all kinds of things, it's been really different than the issues that say Chinese Americans have yeah. faced. Yeah. Like we're, we're really more similar to like Middle Easterns when it comes to that, those equity issues and health issues and things like that versus what Asian people are yeah. facing. And that I would say like those like East Asian, this is way deeper than you <laughs> asked for, but- Appreciate it. Pacific Islanders and East Asians, that really goes together in terms of health and equity and financial mm-hmm. equality yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Very helpful. Thank you. Of course. Oh, you're very and welcome. again, it's also the thing where it's like not everyone's going to answer that same way. Right. 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 And I asked because I just attended to your point of like wanting to get into the podcasting. I just attended over the weekend a conference called Python, which was organized by the Women of Color Podcasters and the Asian American Podcast Association. Ah, and it was dope. <laughs> it was great. They did it on Zoom. It was so engaging. I think it's worth checking them out. Follow them on social. Yeah. Um, Women of Color Podcasters and then, uh, yeah, the Asian American Podcast Association. When you find that community where you're like, oh, you're like me and we do mm. the same thing. That's yeah. awesome. So yeah. I will definitely take a look at that. Yeah. Thank you. It feels like a good community. And, and uh, the two organizers, Lee and Danielle, they were so freaking kind. And uh, they do it. This is their third year. So I foresee them continuing to do it. Very cool. Oh, Thank fantastic. you so much. We'll see you there next year. Yeah. 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 Maybe it'll be in person this year, you know, still virtual. So. That would be so fun. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Anna. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's been great sharing space with y'all. Good to know y'all. I'm glad. We love you. Love y'all back. Take care. Thanks y'all. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.